0: And it is so good, I speak on behalf of us, it is so good to be home. Uh, One of these days when I'm not busy with some engagement, we'll look forward to just sitting out there, being among you. This is our church home. It's where we'll end up as our church home. But it's been kind of, a, kind of a busy time for us, for sure, in the last year. And all that has happened here in the last year, it's just been amazing the kinds of things we have gone through as well. I met a uh, retired executive in Cincinnati, and I have stolen his description of this season of life. I am not retired, I'm refired. <laughs> that means energized without the pressure. You see, John, there's pressure there, trust me. Now, does this look like pressure? Or re- re- <laughs> what do you think? Refired, are fired, man. It's all, all about that. So it's really been fun to work with the two consulting firms that I started with a year ago, still working with them. Fly out to Oklahoma City tomorrow at Life Church with Craig Groeschel and leadership development training there. And work out of Cincinnati still. And I've been the interim pastor in Ohio um, since January and will be up to Christmas time with the church where I was 43 years ago when we were in seminary. And so it's just been kind of a, a very interesting, uh, busy time, but it's certainly been a good time to be here. But you don't have the same kind of pressure as you do when you're in a local church you know and this season I'm spending a lot of time coaching younger pastors and they do have a certain pressure you know back I love the story of this guy where he would stand at the door you know the preachers would stand at the door of the congregation shake everybody's hand as they would leave and people kind of give you their little, good sermon preacher great job thank you that touched my life on and on and on and this one person came out and shook the preacher's hand and said that is the worst sermon I've ever heard in my life I don't know how in the world you ended up doing this. Man, you ought to be selling, be selling cars or something other than preaching. You are terrible. You can't communicate. You don't know the Bible. There's no conviction. There's no power. You have no business. You should never, ever preach again. And the guy walked away. The preacher was just spellbound, Why as a sheet. The guy came up behind him and he said, Oh, man, did you hear that guy? He said, Yes. He said, But don't pay any attention to him. He just repeats what he hears everybody else saying it's hard to get encouragement. You know what I'm saying? We're just not really good at getting, at giving encouragement, and we're not really good at expressing gratitude. So when John told me the vision for today, this year kind of anniversary since we have been away and all that God has done, just to stop and celebrate, what, what a wise thing to do. Because I find one of the most common struggles, and frankly, it's a, it's a uh, a place of spiritual warfare for believers. And that is to not be grateful over time. We just don't express gratitude like we ought to. Anne Bosskamp has a very interesting book I'd like to rec- recommend to you today. It's called 1,000 Gifts. And she encourages believers, Christian people, to literally write down 1,000 blessings. Write them into a book, a 1,000 blessings you have, specifically as a result of knowing the Lord. Write them out. Things like undeserved grace, unexpected forgiveness, unconditional love, or lesser gifts. In her case, she describes a lesser gift. Her husband's a hog farmer. She homeschools her six kids. So every day when they walk in with the, the mud from the hog farm and they make a mess of her house all over again every single day, she said, I have a choice. I can get discouraged because they're tracking mud into the house again. Or I can stop and be thankful that I have kids who can walk into and out of the house. And you know what, when you and I go through difficult times, and we do go through difficult times, when we are weary, when we are burdened, when we're struggling, when we look at the world, the lay of the land, the culture we're in today, it's just easy to become discouraged and beaten down. And it's good just to stop and think about how good we do have it or how bad things could be. And in this book writes, about how she struggled with depression as a young gal, among other things. Her three-year-old sister died. One of my first funerals was this situation where a child was run over in the driveway. And her three-year-old sister was run over by a delivery truck in their driveway uh, when she was growing up. And uh, she had to work through that. And then she watched her sister and brother-in-law bury two children under the age of two. Both had terminal diseases. And she watched them trust in God through those tragedies. And she writes how expressing thanks to God, even in the midst of that stuff, rescued her from dark, overwhelming depression and grief. I would encourage you to either get her book and or write out between now and Christmas, add this to your little to-do, to-do list, write out a thousand blessings that you have from God. It will encourage you. My favorite quote of her book is this one? As long as thanks is possible, joy is always possible. Can you imagine somebody writing from prison about thanking God and being joyful? The Apostle Paul did that, Philippians 4, verse 7. He said, When you give thanks to God in the midst of the struggles of this life, then he says, You will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So today, I want to talk about on this celebrative weekend how important it is to celebrate and be grateful because it's one of the most important virtues to God. There are a couple of reasons why this is so critical. Number one, being grateful demonstrates spiritual self-awareness. When you're grateful, it demonstrates that you get it, that you're indebted to God. You're indebted to other people for what God has done in your life. Craig Hansen and Greg Housefall up here today, they both would tell you this recognition was not necessary, all right, for their faithful leadership. But I also would tell you this, trust me, it means something when other people express gratitude to you. And it's the same thing with God. Number two, being grateful is a catalyst for personal happiness. We're all looking for personal happiness. I would suggest gratefulness is the catalyst for your happiness. Let me say it another way with this question. On a scale of 1 to 10, how happy are you right now? If you say something less than a 9, I would suggest or ask you why? Why? You probably would tell me about some personal struggle, something's happening in your life, so that's why it's lower than a nine. It's it's a health issue, it's a family issue, it's a financial issue. And that's because in your mind, happiness is dependent, dependent upon the happenings of your life, but that is called stinking thinking. We need to correct that. Happiness is determined so much more by your attitude than your environment. You heard the pastor who was, Freed from Turkey this weekend for preaching the gospel, basically. And one of the first things he did was he wanted to go into the White House and pray over our president in the Oval Office. How in the world does a guy immediately come out of that kind of situation where you could be full of bitterness... And he knows his God has blessed him and seen him through that. He's been in a really tough environment, but his attitude was the key, and even now, to be used. I think I can make every single person in the center and the point and online extremely happy right now. I can make you extremely happy. In fact, it may may take me 24 hours. Give me 24 hours. I can make every person in the place happy without one circumstance in your life changing. It would be a brutal 24 hours but I can make you grateful. I would have an attorney call you up and inform you that you're being sued and everything you own could be taken from you. I would have your doctor call you and say, we've re-examined your test and you have a terminal disease. I would have a close friend call you and tell you the, the four closest friends you have in life were just killed in a car accident. I would have your favorite pastor call you and say, I am leaving the faith. I can prove the Bible is a hoax. There's no hope of life after death. And I would let those calls kind of sink into you for 24 hours. And I'd call you up and say, let's have a cup of coffee. And I'd sit down with you and say, you need to know um, those phone calls you received, not a single one of them is true. Your loved ones are all still alive. Your possessions are intact. You still have your health. You're in Christ is the most secure thing in the world. And after you've recovered from the shock, and you take your hands off my throat which you should, (laughs) you would be grateful for what you have right now. Would you please take your Bibles or your device and turn to Luke chapter 17, or you can study the Scriptures with us right here on this screen. This screen is here so you can study the Bible with us if you don't have a copy of the Scriptures with you. But I'd like to study with you a, a, a story in the life of Jesus, and we can really learn this vital lesson of expressing and living lives of gratitude. And something that's very short, I think, in the Christian community, but so desperately needed. The story reads this way, as Jesus continued on towards Jerusalem, He reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As He entered a village there, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. Leprosy was incurable. It was a terrible disease. It deadened the nerve endings so much that you couldn't feel uh, parts of your body. And I mean, they would, they would rub off their fingers sometimes without realizing it. Their toes, noses, and ears would fall off. They were isolated because people felt you could get it like you can catch the flu. In fact, they weren't allowed to touch people or get near people. They had to say, unclean, unclean, when they would walk into an environment. And so they're at a distance from Jesus And here they are, unclean, but they realize Jesus is the only hope that they have. So they're alienated physically and emotionally in every other kind of way. They say, would you help us? And Jesus doesn't have to touch them. He simply says, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they go, they're healed. Now, you study the life of Christ. That's not abnormal. He typically did that. Very often he did that. Before he would heal someone, he would ask them to do something, demonstrate their faith, And as they would demonstrate their faith, they would be healed. A fellow had a hand that was malformed. He said, stretch out your hand. And as he did, he was healed. A paraplegic was told, take up your bed and walk. And he reached down and he picked it up and he started to walk. Can you imagine the joy of these ten lepers having that kind of condition in their life? And just like that, their bodies are completely whole and their skin is as soft as a baby. They're overwhelmed at this. But notice what happens in verse 15. One of them, only one of them, one of them when he saw that he was healed came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. And he fell to the ground at Jesus' feet thanking Him for what he had done. And this man was a Samaritan. That's a key part of the verse here. Because in the Jewish culture the Samaritans were kind of the underclass. Every culture has racial prejudice. And this man had grown up a target of prejudice his entire life, talking about being treated in an unjust way throughout every aspect of his life. But this Samaritan is the only one of the ten who stopped to go back and thank the Lord for what he had done. And so Jesus' response is quite intriguing in verse 17 when Jesus asked him, well, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Now, I don't know where they are, but I'm sure they all had good reasons why they hadn't come back, Right. You know they had excuses. They're going to get around to it. They just didn't come back and express thanks yet. How do I know that? Because not much has changed. School teachers, how many of your students come back to you at the end of the year and just thank you for the time you've put in with them, the patience you did perform with them as a teacher? How many do that? One in ten? Maybe? Ask a referee. How many parents How many coaches, how many players say, thank you so much for for your diligence and keeping us under control in that game today? Ask a doctor or a dentist after they perform some surgical procedure. You get home. How many of them receive a note later on to say, thank you so much for the success of the surgery and what you've done for me? People who are working in their sound booth here are people you can't see behind the scenes working PowerPoint. People who are working right now in Kids City, watching your kids and in, in student ministry today. Ask how many of them, somebody will come up after church and just express gratitude. Hey, thank you so much for working in the sound today. Thank you for watching my kids today so I could be a part of this worship. How many people do that? Ask the moms who are here. How many of your kids have come to you this week and said, Mom, I just want to tell you something. I have clean clothes, and mom, they're folded in my drawer. Thank you, mom. Now, some of you wonder why your mom doesn't do that. I came to answer that for you today. Your kids don't thank you because they love you. They know you'd have a heart attack and die if they told you thank you. And so that's why they don't thank you. Why don't we do this? What is the problem? God answers our prayers. God, please, God, help me. Rescue me from the situation. Give me a job opportunity. Bring a companion into my life. We beg and plead and then we get it and we roll on. How many come back and say, Thank you, God? One in ten? I'm guessing maybe. What's the deal? Here's the deal. As I said early on, this is spiritual warfare. Gratitude means so much to God, the evil one tries to get us to do the opposite. You never thought of this as spiritual warfare, did you? You just think that's just kind of the human condition. But no, this is a spiritual battle. You can put, the deed, put to death the deeds of the flesh, but somehow there's this ingratitude that sneaks in all the time. How do we overcome this gratitude or ingratitude problem. Well, I'll say it this way, kind of a big idea form. just refuse, refuse to give bad attitudes a voice, period. No more. You're done with it. When you feel that bad attitude coming on, and you can feel it coming on, when you see it in the mirror, that's it. Don't give it a voice. And the more you mature as a follower of Christ, you can develop this skill with God's help. It's described a very interesting verse. I've always been intrigued with the wording of this. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, it says, We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What does it mean to take captive a thought? That's kind of vague. What does that look like? Number one, it means this, reject entitlement. We're not thankful because we just feel so entitled. You know, we deserve special treatment. Now, why is that? And is it really an issue? It has to be an issue, because we all struggle with this, especially in this part of the world, because we have so much. We struggle with it. What drives this entitlement issue? Number one, I think it's unrealistic expectations. Many of us were pampered by our parents, our grandparents. They meant well, but somehow... Life is just supposed to be all about us. You know, no pain, no disappointment. And so anytime life is less than 100% perfect, you get critical and negative about that. In this season that I'm enjoying so much, I'm coaching young pastors. These kind of reflect back on 40 years in full-time ministry and to tell them the truth that, you know what, 95% of the full-time ministry was absolutely a blessing and just a great joy. About 4% of it was a grind, and about 1% was nasty. And I reflect back on that, and when I spent often 50% of my time and energy focusing on the 5% I didn't like, I became critical and negative about my job. You don't ever do that, do you? Why do we do that? What's the deal? It's going to happen, so why do we dwell on that? The Bible says, In this world you will have trouble. It's going to happen. It's contaminated by sin. And so life will not be perfect until we're with the Lord. It makes no sense to focus on the 5% that isn't working right. Be grateful for the 95% that you have. That's a blessing, perspective. Number two, blessings can lead to dissatisfaction. Now this makes no logical sense but I call this one of the ironic inconsistencies of the Christian life. The more people have, the less grateful we are. That's true personally, as families, and a church is blessed like this one, it's true of a church. The more blessed we are, the less grateful it seems that we are. For instance, my wife and I just came back from a trip with my siblings and our spouses to Bahaba, Maine. We would pronounce it Bar Harbor. They call it Bahaba. When you've been to Bar Harbor, Maine, and you look at those islands everywhere from Cadillac Mountain, oh my goodness, once you've been there though, we came home the next week and we we did the canal walk in downtown Indy. I didn't get goosebumps. It's perspective. Uh, If you have eaten at St. Elmo's Steakhouse, don't go to Golden Corral today. If you drive driven a Porsche, you're not so psyched about driving your little Ford Fusion, are you? Perspective. It's just the, the more we have, it's a strange thing. And so this great wisdom comes from this man who had so much wealth. And the Holy Spirit inspired Solomon to write these words in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8. God, give me just enough to satisfy my needs. If I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who's the Lord? If I'm too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. You are a rare person. You are a rare person. If you can maintain a humble, grateful attitude when your cup is running over, and by the way, your cup is running over, instead of always wanting a bigger cup. Number three, negative friends can really drag us down. Oh, man. Proverbs 13.20 says, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools, get in trouble. If your closest friends are never satisfied, they're always negative and critical and complaining, they're whining, it's contagious, it is like a virus. But the good news is the opposite is also true. Hang out with some good company and they encourage good character, the Bible says. So I'm going to give you for free today what I call the zero tolerance speech for complaining. Now these this is a good rule of thumb for mission teams particularly. It's also good as you get ready Thanksgiving and Christmas to go stay at people's homes and things like that. Here's the the zero tolerance for complaining speech. Here it is. Eat what they put in front of you, sleep where they tell you to sleep, do what your parents or grandparents ask you to do. Don't complain or grumble about anything on this Thanksgiving. We're going to be grateful, you understand? (laughs) Just aside, no negative peer pressure, don't give it a voice number four unwise comparisons oh man this will eat your lunch when you compare your circumstances to somebody else you'll always find somebody who seems to have it better than you and that will make you ungrateful or discontent no matter what you have i don't care how good your kids are there are somebody else's kids who are more talented and smarter than yours it's true No matter how great your church is, there's always another church. It just seems like it offers more. They don't have the same issues that you know about at your church. No matter how romantic and committed your partner is in marriage, you can always find somebody else who seems more interesting or interested than your mate. So how can we be more grateful? Here's the second thing I want to focus on today. I said all that to say this. Here's the takeaway. Let's reflect for a few moments on this GQ. This gratitude quotient. It's a gratitude strategy. Let me give you five things to do. Please put these into play in your life. Number one, humble yourself before the owner of all. That's God. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all of its people belong to Him. Nothing really belongs to us. We're just caretakers for a season while we're on this planet. If you don't believe that, who's going to have your house a hundred years from now? The same one who has it now. God owns everything. That's just truth. He owns it all. First Timothy 6 verse 7 says, We brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. We're going to turn it all back to God. And if you belong to Him, by the way, that's a good thing. It's a good thing. That's Ann Boskamp's appointment. She learned to maintain her joy by learning, experiencing, watching her sister and brother-in-law lose those two children within three years. What did she learn? She noticed that they focused. The parents said on how blessed they were to have had those two children in the first place, and because they were followers of Christ, they still grieved. Oh my goodness, they grieved, and will I think for life. At the same time, they knew they were going to be with the Lord. They believed that, and they would be with their children one day. Ultimately, we don't own anything, including our kids or our grandkids. They're just on loan to us. And God simply gives us the privilege of living in this life or having those in this life. We're not guaranteed how long, but we are guaranteed if we live for Christ and trust in Christ. When life is over, we will be with Him forever. So every single day you and I wake up is a gift from the God of who made heaven and earth from scratch. Don't forget that. Here's a second strategy. Hang out with people who are blessed less than you are. I think it's good to be with friends who have been blessed by God, they're having a good season of blessing in their life that encourages us, but also make sure you're spending time with some people who are struggling. It keeps us humble. Uh, I am the interim pastor in Washington Courthouse, Ohio, where we started 43 years ago when I was in seminary. Crystal and I went there 43 years ago. We were engaged, we got married our second year, and I've been working with that church, and it's been a lot of fun. And uh, their church, about 400 people, they're really at a very critical juncture, so I kind of have helped their pastor transition out helped them hire a new pastor, and they have a great future in front of them. But coming from here and working with them there, um, things aren't always exactly the same. And so we had a couple of baptism weekends. They'd never had a baptism weekend before, so we had one planned last week. And I received this text the week of our week of baptism. Baptistry panel got fried. We thought we had it fixed. It's not working. I thought, are you kidding me right now? That never happened when I was at connection point. Or did it? Oh yeah, I remember telling a group of people how warm and wonderful our baptistry was. <laughs> and we met at church and we walked into the water and it was ice cold. I remember that. It's kind of good to remember. It humbles us. Uh, we were blessed to have what we have now and when we had less. In fact, um, I had the privilege August the 26th of baptizing a great-granddaughter of the woman that my wife and I stayed with our first year of marriage, and we would go up there every weekend from Cincinnati. And she wanted to be baptized on their family farm in a creek, a bridge over 100 years old was around it, Kristen, and about 100 people stood outside. And let me show you this baptism I had just a few weeks ago. Here's a picture. We entered that water. And then it just look like the good old days? Isn't that awesome? Doesn't it look just like the way it ought to be? Oh, man. No, that's not the way it ought to be. What are you talking about? Because what you don't see is, once she left, I stood there for a minute because I went like this. It was like I was stuck in mud up to my <laughs> ankle. It was like, don't fall on your face in front of these people right here right now. Give me the connection point jacuzzi warm any day of the week. (laughs) It's just kind of nice to remember when you had less. You know what I'm saying? And it makes us grateful (laughs) for what we have. Here's another strategy. Declare war, I mean downright war on grumbling. All right, here we go. How many of you are grumblers? Raise them high. How many are sitting by a grumbler? No, don't raise your hand. I don't want to cause any fights today. No, don't do that. Here's the deal. This is so serious. You want to attract the wrath of God? The surest way to do it is to grumble and complain. I'm serious. The Old and the New Testament. The people of Israel were slaves in Egypt for 40 years. God miraculously sets them free. So they start complaining about Moses, their leader, God sends them miraculous food from heaven called manna, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And they have it made, all right? And do you know what they start to do? They start to whine and complain. Man, yeah, we were slaves, but at least we, had, we were able to eat onions and garlic and leeks and all that good stuff, cucumbers every day. We'd love to go back and be slaves again and have free food. Now, what do you think God said? Well, gee, what can I serve you, honey? No, the Bible says God's wrath was kindled because they're complaining. His wrath came down like a hammer just because they complained. And to make sure we get the connection, that's not just an angry God in the Old Testament. Okay, In the New Testament the Apostle Paul said, Don't forget this lesson, 1 Corinthians 10. He said this, Don't grumble as some of them did back in Israel. And then they were destroyed by the angel of death. These things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. God despises grumbling. I wonder if you realize that. Because it's the opposite of gratitude. Which is why Paul wrote from a prison cell, Philippians 2 verse 14, do everything without complaining and arguing. Seriously? Everything? So you ask God, will you, as a season Kind of pressures up on you. you, get toward Thanksgiving and Christmas, and we tend to overanalyze everything and find the flaws in others. God, change me. Change my attitude from being critical to being grateful. In fact, ask somebody who loves you, say, Would you do me a favor this year when we go to so and so's house? If I start to get negative or complain, would you just give me a little nod? you just kind of kick me under the table a little bit. They'll be delighted to help you. (laughs) They've been waiting a long time for you to say, would you just let me know if I start to complain? They'd be glad to help you along. Number four, make expressing gratitude a habit. So we're not just taking away bad stuff. Let's do some good stuff. You know, they say if you do anything for 22 days in a row, it's a habit. If you intentionally express gratitude for 22 days, it might become a second nature habit for you. And so the Apostle Paul understood this because he went from despising Jesus to killing people who followed Jesus to being totally yielded to Christ and it cost him his life. He took a lot of hits because of his conversion. But the guy wrote this in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 18, be thankful in, not for, in all circumstances. This is God's will. What is God's will for my life? It's you're thankful In all circumstances those who belong to Jesus Christ yes your circumstance may really be a terrible situation you're in but you can be thankful in the circumstance listen did you know if you own a Bible one-third of the world has no access to a Bible If you can actually read your Bible two billion people on the planet cannot even read if you woke up this morning and you're healthy enough to come to church a million people will die this week. If you have never experienced the danger of battle, the loneliness of imprisonment, or the pangs of starvation, you're better off than 500 million people on this planet. If you have food in your refrigerator, clothes on your back, a roof over your head, and 20 bucks in your pocket, you're richer than 70 percent of the people in the world. Our God is a good God, and He has been so good to us. And so just to make sure that you and I are grateful, if you get it, when I say get it, I want you to say got it. Get it? All right. Number five. In every circumstance then, choose joy. Every circumstance. First Timothy 6, 17 says, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money. It's so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly provides us with all we need for our enjoyment. You have a mind to think. You're sitting in a church family today where no matter what your background is, no background, or any number of religious backgrounds, no matter what your socioeconomic background is or has been, no matter what your racial background is, you are so welcome in this church. you understand that? And most importantly, he's given us the Lord Jesus Christ. And he died on a cross to completely cover our sin. And it does give us the promise of eternal life. Even when we struggle, we can keep our eyes on the goal because of the resurrection of Jesus. I like the way Melody Beattie put it this way. She said, gratitude, it unlocks the fullness of life, really. It turns what we have into enough and more. It turns denial into acceptance, chaos to order, confusion to clarity. It can turn a meal into a feast, a house into a home a stranger into a friend gratitude makes sense of our past brings peace for today and creates a vision for tomorrow there's a verse in the bible that's repeated 7 times word for word first chronicles 16:34 says this give thanks to the lord for he is good his faithful love endures forever would you stand please and would you say these words with me words we're going to articulate this praise to God in scripture and then we're going to sing praise to God together so say say these words from your heart before the God of heaven give thanks to the Lord for he is good his faithful love endures forever one more time like you mean it And all the Lord's people said, amen.